You're listening to America's Web Radio, your voice in the matter. Welcome. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have with me Michael Daly, the COO of the Atlanta Healing Center, and David Donaldson, who's the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Very glad to be here. We're going to talk about a topic that I think is a very interesting in terms of how widespread and how needed codependency treatment might be for people. So the the title of today's talk um, or today's um, show is Do I Need Al-Anon? But I wanted to be really clear before we get too far into it that the idea of being codependent on someone, of having a relationship that is not in a healthy, balanced relationship can occur not just in a family where someone has the disease of addiction. There can be many other situations in which one family member is not functioning well, either because of physical illness, mental illness, chemical dependency, um, a number of scenarios can happen in which the family then has to rally around that person and many times has to put the needs of that one person above the needs of the rest of the family. That's all well and good when it's a short-term Somebody's sick, they've had surgery, they can't walk, they need meals prepared, they need someone driving them everywhere, they need someone to help them set up appointments and do their activities of daily living. But when it becomes a long-term skewed relationship in which one person seems to be giving way too much or multiple people in this individual's life are doing way more work and someone else is not healthy enough for whatever reason to be doing their own work and taking care of themselves, we create this problem that we know of as codependency. So it doesn't just affect people who have a loved one who has the disease of addiction. And I think that's really important to stress that this problem can be found in many families and in many relationships where addiction is not the problem. So if you're thinking this show might not apply to you and you're ready to turn it off right now, I hope you'll rethink that and maybe consider for yourself whether you have been affected by someone's disease. We're going to focus primarily on the disease of addiction, but... Again, this can apply in many different situations. Well, and I think it's important that we talk about this in light of codependency existing outside of addictive homes because so often those people will feel real baffled as to why they have these symptoms or they keep having these relationship patterns and and why they really relate to to everything that they hear about related to the label of codependency, but they can't pinpoint it to a particular person who was an alcoholic in their family or a drug addict in their family. Um, and, and they'll end up spending a lot of time questioning the why me and where did this come from rather than being able to get into the to the help of, of codependency therapy. And while we do talk about it very frequently and is a, a big part of our treatment program in terms of trying to make sure that the loved ones and significant others of our patients get some help and support, 
I don't think it is talked about if someone has a loved one who has severe mental illness or who has cancer or who has a disability. And you're right. Uh, if they can't, they can say, oh, I do that or I feel like that or I want to do that. But it's not about addiction. So surely that's not about me. I, I must be not dealing with this very well, not recognizing that codependency doesn't just have to be involving a person who has um, the disease of addiction. One of the areas that I actually see it quite often is in families where the the main um, breadwinner has not been a very effective breadwinner or has not been very good at managing the money. Um, and other family members will, will work extra jobs or will, um, will do their own um, ways of managing around that person's inadequacy rather mm-hmm. than address the inadequacy because of that person's role in the family. Mm-hmm. And that just becomes their pattern for living that they bring into their own adulthood. Right. It's like they're protecting the uh, breadwinner and and making excuses for for their inadequacies, but also making up for it at the same time. And trying not to hurt that person's feelings, feelings, trying not to make them feel worse than they already do, trying to do a workaround. And often that person that you described becomes an angry person. Mm-hmm. So there's also sometimes um, out of their own sense of guilt or shame that they're not providing for their family or they've lost their job or there's something else going on in their lives that's making them not effective, as you say, at earning the living and running the family, the the shame and guilt they feel then comes out as being anger. Mm -hmm. And so the family members and loved ones will often tiptoe even more around that person because they don't want to trigger that anger response. And they internalize um, a lot of their fear and they then become ineffective to some degree or another in managing their own lives because of this strained relationship that doesn't get talked about, doesn't get worked through, and someone doesn't get help. Well, and at the same time, they'll have they'll have the need to protect the family image, and and so that whole keeping up with the Joneses mentality that's already going on in, in the suburbs and every, and elsewhere. Um, is playing into mm-hmm. um, keeping the dishonesty and keeping the secrets and, and keeping up a front. Um, um, so they're already learning stuff your reality, stuff your feelings, and and put on a good face, and, and that's what you're supposed to do. And it's very interesting in my role at the center, where generally I'm the I'm the person that takes the call of the loved one or the person that's that's trying to kind of um, steer their their loved one that maybe has addiction into our program and and you know I will explain to them that it's a family disease and, and that we have a Wednesday night group and and generally in the very beginning they're very very like oh well um, now I don't need that help but but you know I'm, I'm just here for my my son or my husband or my whoever that that really needs the help and then I try to help explain to them. And, and the more we get to know each other and the more uh, we talk about things, they really end up being a very big part of the family group. And and really benefiting Absolutely. from the education and the knowledge and then 
the permission to take care of themselves and to really look at how this disease, in in this case, the disease of addiction, has crippled the whole family. Right. And and one of the things that I see is that the group dynamic kind of – it shows how wonderful the group dynamic is in that it helps these people that wanted to kind of keep it held within, wanted to not let it get out there – start to see that that is the disease, that they are living so tightly in the disease, the family disease, that that they're unable to at first, you know, sit in the group and, and, and call it what it is. And they slowly learn how to do that by listening to others and seeing other people go through the the maybe a step or two ahead of them where mm-hmm. they were at one time, but now they're two steps ahead. And And they watch people going through that and they learn from that. And and that's why I think that um, the group dynamic of, of the family group and this codependency thing is so important. And we see we see such remarkable results with people that maybe at the beginning you think, oh, Lord, you know. <laughs> <laughs> because, again, just as the person with the addiction is often in denial about the effects of their use of drugs or alcohol or behavior and how that is affecting them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they see the behavior or the substance as the solution to the problem, would never dream of thinking of it as the problem. The family member also sees that the the efforts that they're putting forth on behalf of their loved one are what's making the difference between keeping that person alive or out of jail, not realizing that those same behaviors are actually keeping their loved one very sick. Exactly. And allowing that uh, person to maybe escape the consequences or the realities of their disease for a longer period of time than maybe was helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a concern of, of sounding mean or of of um, falling into an enabling trap that they don't want to get into that rather than, than risk either of those alternatives, they continue to just go along with. Um, and, and it allows the disease to thrive and prosper. Just as addiction is a disease of isolation, Uh, The person who's suffering with this disease often pushes away family, friends. They disengage from activities that they used to enjoy. They're no longer as effective and efficient at work. Sometimes they lose their job. We see a parallel. I think this is the the beauty of looking at this as a system, as as a family disease, is we see the same parallel. Because as you were saying a minute ago, David, the idea that it's not really how I feel inside that matters, it's how I look outside to the world. Looking in, right. And so the family members are trying really hard to keep it together. Mm -hmm. They're they're not... feeling comfortable in being able to share with their friends, with their church members, with their colleagues, with their other family members, Mm -hmm. other relatives, what's going on at home and their concerns. So they get more isolated. They become more preoccupied. So they're less effective and efficient in the work that they're doing because they're constantly worried. And I I don't mean to, to downplay 
the reality that many of them should be worried. I mean, this is a potentially life-threatening disease. And so uh, it, it makes sense that this is their reaction, that they're worried. They don't know what to do. They're trying to make everything look as normal as possible, and they're doing it in a way that comes at great cost to themselves personally. And this is that parallel track. What's happening to the person with addiction is often in many ways happening to their family members exactly the same. The person with addiction can't sleep. Their family members can't sleep. The person with addiction has high cortisol stress hormone. The family has high cortisol stress hormone. The person with addiction is not taking care of themselves physically. They're not going to the doctor. They're not taking their medicine right. Often the family members are ignoring their own symptoms of stress or their own um, mental and physical health is not being attended to in the way that it needs to because all the resources, time, and effort are going to try and prop up their loved one who has this disease. Right. It, it's amazing. To watch some of these people, I mean, physically, they're doing the, the job of one and a half people, you know, but also then like you said, the the emotional baggage that's on top of that mm-hmm. is just amazing. I mean, you know, once you get to know some of these family members and you watch their reaction, it's it's just amazing that these people are still able to hold on. To function at all. Yeah. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to ask a series of questions about how you might know if you might need some help. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare. And learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. 
So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. In studio with me today are Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. We're talking about the idea of codependency and if someone might need help because of strained relationships. We're going to talk a little bit later in terms of specifically towards the disease of addiction, but I think understanding what codependency is is an important place to begin. And there are many different definitions. I think um, an interesting one is that um, the person who has the problem with codependency has an exaggerated sense of responsibility for the actions of others. Now, as a parent, when you've got a tiny little child, of course, you are responsible for feeding, clothing, bathing, protecting, uh, scheduling, controlling everything about that little person's life because they can't do any of those things themselves. But as a person grows and develops, you begin to let them tie their own shoes and pick out their outfits, even though clearly they do not match. <laughs> um, you began to give them choices with food, and you began to help them uh, pick out gifts for someone else and to learn to share and to take responsibility, and maybe you give them an allowance. And all of these things that you begin to give this person more and more responsibility as they mature, and you allow them to be responsible for the things that they can do. Well, That's an important thing. And it's important when you do give someone an allowance or you give somebody um, a set amount that that you help them understand that whatever choice they're going to make is what they're going to live with. Right. You know, because it doesn't – it's not real helpful if you give them an allowance. They spend it all on candy and then something comes along and you say, well, okay, here you are. You know, here's a little more money to to get what you really wanted, you know. So – I think that there's got to be a little bit of accountability in that. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting listening to those conflicts that that people have with their small children as they're growing up um, and and knowing that those are the battles that they have to win early on in a person's Mm -hmm. life to teach healthy boundaries and to help the person become independent. But for the codependent, that is such an uncomfortable position to stay in. for, For the codependent to live wow. with the tolerance of my child is going to miss out on going to the school function because they don't have this extra money and I have the money in my pocket and I could just go ahead and make all of this go away um, rather than having that learning opportunity mm-hmm. and that lesson opportunity is just it's just so uncomfortable and well, being able to tolerate the discomfort of someone else's bad feelings is right. a huge symptom of the codependency. And and. One thing that we hear and we see a lot of in the in the media right now is, you know, talking about millennials. And one of the things that scares me a little bit is that when you talk to professors or you talk to people that are that are in schools um, where 
parents in sort of my generation would have let their children, um, you know, get that B on the test or, or not hand in the most perfect paper and, and, and live with the consequences. Now you hear from people that are in college and, and professors that parents are calling them up at night and saying, why did you give my child a, a, a B? They, they need an A to go on. They need, you know, they're, they're stepping in and still rescuing. Right. At and the college level. At the college level, even when this, this person isn't asking for the help, and they, they may not even have addiction, but their their parents are just so in tune to helping make the proper right decision and move forward that they can't let go. Right. The, uh, doing um, Having the right outcome is much more important than learning the lesson about how you get there. Exactly. And that is that as a parent, it's really hard. You have to let go of the back of the bicycle, and you have to know that chances are that kid's going to tip Scream. over. And you have to, as... David, you said a minute ago, you have to be okay with the fact that they're going to have some pain. They're not going to be happy. They're going to hate you when you say, no, you can't go to the movies because you spent all your money on candy. Mm -hmm. So next week, when you think about wanting to go to the movie, remember that. It's much easier to say yes than no. It's much easier to have the child like you than it is to have the child learn responsibility and learn self-discipline. It's, it's a tough battle. It is appropriate, and you grow, you grow your children up, and you hope that one day they will be fully functional adults. What we see with the codependency is such a fear on the part of the parent that they're not going to have perfect children with perfect lives, that they remove all barriers, all obstacles, and they continue to make the decisions, the choices, and make things happen. And it is really crippling to their children. It's crippling. And sometimes the children come back, and and when you talk to them, having had a parent um, of that, like we're talking about, they almost feel like their parents don't think that they have the ability Mm -hmm. to function so they instead of being grateful or like thinking that this parent helped me through all this they think gosh my parents are embarrassed they don't think Mm -hmm. that i have the ability to do this on my own and therefore they're pushing me forward Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting if you look the at, the, at the history of often the codependent. They were often the child that became parentified. Mm-hmm. Their own parents had problems with physical health, with mental illness, financial problems, or there was another child or a family member that was ill that took their parent away or decreased their parent's effectiveness. And so this child grows up taking care of their parents or taking care of their younger siblings, Mm -hmm. and they become the person who didn't really get a childhood, um, who becomes an adult way too soon, and then they turn around and in their overcompensating, life, they're overcompensating. They don't let their children become adults. They keep their children children. Mm-hmm. And I know we talk a lot, and David, you and, um, and Lois Purrington um, give a really uh, interesting lecture on the adult 
parent and child relationships. And we see that whether it's a spouse still having a parent-child relationship with their other spouse, whether it's a child still being the parent to their parent, whether it's a parent still being a parent to an adult child, this is what we're talking about in terms of the codependency. It's not so much that the behaviors are wrong. It's not that the behaviors are uh, full of malice. It's, it's, it's that the behaviors are wrong for the stage in life mm-hmm. that the that people are in. Is in. Exactly. Right. Um, and, and it makes you cringe sometimes when you spoke of Lois Purrington, and I actually heard her speaking recently where she talked about people having to recognize that they are crippling their loved ones. And, and to hear that bold a statement, you are crippling your loved one, um, makes you kind of cringe a little bit. But when you stop and look at the reality that mm-hmm. if you're always doing for somebody what they need to do for themselves, they are getting the message that they can't do it for themselves. And um, that they need someone else to do it. And Two sometimes the they get the message that, hey, why should I exert all this energy when <laughs> I have 14 different people exerting it for me? That's the one who turns into the addict, <laughs> who grows right on into that role because they know it's going to be okay. But two uh, two really important phrases that um, people have to learn growing up, and, and codependents and addicts in particular never learn, is one, no. That's a complete sentence. It's a complete phrase, no. And, and the other one is, um, um, will you help me? Codependents don't know how to ask for help, and addicts don't know how to ask for help, and neither of them know how to say no. And so, in particular, <laughs> when you're talking to, when you're trying to help somebody pick a healthy sponsor, um, they'll they'll be at meetings and they'll listen to people talk about sponsoring, and and these people will have twelve, thirteen different people that they're sponsoring, not because they're they're um, gurus or anything, but because they've never learned. No, say no. The phrase no. I'm afraid I might hurt your feelings if I say no. And so they don't. Um, and, and that's that's the codependency that's still manifesting even though these people will have years of recovery. It's so important, I think, for most everyone with the disease of addiction is to realize at some point in their life they may need to look at their own codependency issues mm-hmm. because whether they were raised by someone with addiction, whether they married someone with addiction, whether their best friend has addiction, they've all been affected by the disease of addiction. And it does make you want to um, rescue and help and take care of and prevent consequences. And so everyone who has the disease most likely will need some codependency work and certainly everyone who works in the field of addiction because we're affected by that disease every day. Mm -hmm. So whether we live with it at home or have lived with it growing up or whether we've never lived with it, we live with it every day in our work. So this isn't a badge of shame. This isn't a... Um, a, a, a serious deficit for which people should be um, overly concerned that there's no help because there is help. And all of us can be vulnerable. All of us can be vulnerable Absolutely. to this kind of behavior. It's it's like anything else. We just need to look and we need to ask ourselves, are we having problems with this? And is this something that we or I need to to look at and get some help with? But in, well, in particular, we've got to have people in our lives that we can ask that question of 
because we can't get that feedback from ourselves. Right. We'll get ourselves into major trouble. <laughs> and, and the other thing is that's very interesting is when you watch sort of the dance that's going on between the enabler or the codependent and their person that's addicted, usually they have two or three other children and a husband or, or a wife that's that's left to the side getting less than what they sort of deserve. And, or need. And, and, or need. And, and these people become angry. They become closed off. I mean, it affects their whole lives. Mm-hmm. But you... The focus is always on these two that are doing the dance the tightest. Right. Um, a codependent uh, person will do anything to hold on to a relationship, will do anything. And their fear of being abandoned or of abandoning someone leads them to do things that are very destructive, not only to themselves, but to their relationship and to their loved one. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about how you might know if you need some help. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. This is Daryl Pullis, inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. We're talking today about the 
problem of codependency, how it relates to all sorts of relationship problems, and we'll also talk in our last segment about how it relates particularly with the disease of addiction. But I think that it would be really helpful at this point to just pose some questions for people to think about in terms of might you have problems with codependency. What do you think, Michael? I think I think that's good. Um, one of one of the first questions that you might want to ask is, um, do you keep quiet to avoid arguments? So, are you are you keeping your opinion to yourself rather than to bring it out in the open? Um, another one is, are you always worried about what others' opinions are of you? Um, that's that outside has to look a lot better, and we're worried about that more than the inside. Correct. The, the third question is, have you ever lived with someone with an, an alcohol or a drug problem? Real often with that one, what we'll talk about is if, if you've lived with this person for more than two years, then you have already been impacted by the disease of addiction. Because um, there will be a lot of people who will say, it wasn't in my family, I didn't grow up with it, I don't know why it's, I'm having these issues. But they've been married to this person for five years or ten mm-hmm. years, and it's had an impact. And I think it doesn't have to, again, as we've said several times, it doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol. Have you lived with someone who has a chronic, potentially fatal illness? Have you lived with someone who has been mentally ill? Have you lived with uh, someone who is um, functioning at a much lower level than expected? These same questions may be very applicable to you. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, a fourth question would be, have you ever lived with someone that hits or belittles you? Um, and this one brings to mind, like, this is going to show my age, but um, a family like all in the family, Archie Bunker. You know, <laughs> I don't think he ever hit Edith, but he certainly belittled and kept her in her place by, you know, verbally assaulting her. Um and it creates that same level of fear and that same level of um, difficulty with self-esteem and difficulty with uh, confronting and talking about a problem rather than just swallowing those feelings and, and trying your best to do whatever you need to do to make the peace. Mm-hmm. A fifth question is, are, you, are the opinions of others more important than your own? So do you wait Discount to hear your own reality? Real often what we'll see is that they that they wait, actually, like you were about to say, to hear what the other person's opinion is before they know what their opinion should is going to be. Should be. Yeah. And even if they have one, they would not feel comfortable, safe, or trust themselves to express their opinion. They don't have a voice. Right. Um, another group of questions to ask yourself: Do you feel? Do you have difficulty adjusting to changes at work or home? Do you always give yourself the message, "I hate change," and I'm, change is so difficult? Um, do you feel rejected when significant others spend time with friends? Do you doubt your ability to be who you want to be? Are you uncomfortable expressing your true feelings to others? Have you ever felt inadequate? Um, and, and all of those kind of speak, speak to the, the sense of, of not feeling good enough mm-hmm. and, and um, putting other people's opinions ahead of yours because you feel like like they're of more worth than your own. Um, and, and that dynamic happens um, whether addiction's in the home or not when, right. when the person's opinions and, and 
um, points of view are being discounted or minimized or rejected or, um, or if a person's just never feeling heard, even if it's just their own perception of, of the situation, even if the, the household had no major problems, but their perception was nobody really cares what I think. And again, as, um, as the point that you made a few minutes ago, Michael, as you were saying, if you're living in a situation where you're being physically, um, emotionally, or sexually abused, that kind of uh, fear and inadequacy that is installed in a person will create many of these very same feelings and very same behaviors because... Um, there is so much fear and there's shame and guilt and all kinds of feelings that get generated when someone has been repeatedly traumatized so it's this i i need to look really good on the outside because i'm feeling so terrible on the inside Mm -hmm. and and which kind of goes into the uh one of the questions david spoke of where if if there's change do you kind of warded off and not want to have change because it's much easier when you know how to do something to look perfect you know when something gets changed you can't you can't be perfect so therefore you know it's gonna it's gonna look badly on on you even though nobody expects it to be perfect yeah so another question is do you feel like a bad person when you make a mistake it is very hard for the person with codependency to do anything wrong. They want to make sure that their everything is perfect, like you were saying, Michael. And and it's not just, oops, I made a mistake, I'm human, wow, I need to learn from this. It becomes this voice inside their head, well, you're so stupid, you never do anything right, you're never going to get it, you're never going to be enough. And that healthy guilt, and we've talked about this before, guilt where you say, oops, I really made a mistake there. I did that wrong. I'm going to work really hard, generate some energy so that I can not do that again. That's a healthy guilt. It's mm-hmm. acknowledgement. You might feel a little bad, but you're moving forward. Shame is I've made a mistake. I did that and I'm so stupid, and blah, blah, blah. So it's those negative voices that don't generate energy, that don't motivate you to make a change. It's this voice in your head. It's the things that you're telling yourself that um, you're a bad person, not that you made a mistake, but that there's something wrong with you. Well, and it's really getting stuck in that child childhood perception of feelings, that, that feelings are facts. Um, um, as opposed to when you've grown up and you've realized, you know, just because you feel something doesn't mean that it's true. And because I made a mistake and I feel bad doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just means, oops, I made a mistake. Right. I think the other side of that, which is really interesting, is do you have trouble receiving a compliment or accepting gifts? And it goes back to that idea of not being worthy, not being good enough. If people really knew what I was like inside, they would never want to be around me. So I've got to put up this false me rather than let people see who I really am. So I can't take a compliment or accept a gift graciously either. Or they, there's a, a real sense of trust in the sense that I'm, I can't feel indebted to somebody. Mm-hmm. If I accept this gift, then mm-hmm. I'm indebted and I have to go get them something right away, or, or I'm obviously not a very good person. Um, another thing is feeling humiliated when your child or your spouse makes a mistake. 
So these people in your life who you love and care about, if they make a mistake, somehow that becomes a reflection upon you, and somehow that makes you a bad spouse because you're husband or wife did some stupid thing or you're a bad parent because your child made a mistake so it all comes back to me which is the interesting uh, dynamic we say that a lot in addiction that it's all about the person Uh, everything is about me and my feelings and what I need and what I want the codependent is very parallel everything is about me too not in the sense of i want to feel better or i want to escape it's it's about me and everything around me is about me and everything everybody in my sphere of influence does is a reflection of me mm-hmm. and it's um it's not a good thing do you think the people in your life would go downhill if you didn't make constant efforts to make things right so this overblown sense of responsibility that you really are responsible for everybody and everything and that life would just completely explode if you weren't there to keep it all running and all the balls up in the air you know it's so difficult is is for a lot of the clients we see are um people who have been housewives for most of their life they've raised the kids they've kept the home and they've become part of this group that that began having wine every afternoon and and going to all these different matches where wine was always at the thing and and they developed alcoholism um during that transition in life as the kids were Mm -hmm. leaving um and so they really were everything to everybody in their family and they were very very um codependent um, in a healthy way or in an unhealthy way, their role was to take care of everything, and suddenly they're not living up to their role. But their family members are not prepared for them to not still be in that role. Um, and so they really do have quite an adjustment with being told you have to start focusing on your own recovery and you have to start focusing on yourself and going to meetings and doing things to take care of you when their brain is saying, no, I have to take care of my children, I have to make sure there's food on the table, and I have to do all these things for every other person. Um, so that really becomes a, a double-edged sword between healing addiction and healing codependency and also honoring the, the person's role in their home. Very, very difficult and often it's subconscious. It's not something most people are conscious of this happening. It's a gradual process, and unfortunately, they don't recognize it until it becomes painfully obvious to themselves and everybody else. So another um, question you might ask yourself is, do you frequently wish someone could help you get things done? And the irony of this is they think about it, they feel resentful that someone's not carrying their load or helping them out, that someone should know they need help. It does not occur to them to ask for help or to ask for help directly. It's comments like, it would sure be nice if someone would take out the garbage, as opposed to, it would. I would appreciate it if you, Michael, would please go take out the garbage in the next 10 or 15 minutes before we leave. A very direct and pointed request as opposed to this subtle uh, wish mm-hmm. for magically the garbage to disappear out the door. Well, and then the other part of that is after you've asked that person to take out the garbage, 
are you willing to live with the consequences of however that person is going to take out the garbage? <laughs> right. Is that person going to take out the garbage the way you would have taken out the garbage? And when? And all of that. <laughs> so it's uh, wishing for help and yet not really directly asking for the help you need. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll talk more about how you might know how you might know if you need help. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, detailing addiction on America's Web Radio. You're... Um, we're, excuse me, we're talking about today the ideas of codependency and the possibility that you might not recognize some of these behaviors until you put them all together to, to realize that some of your relationship issues, some of your issues of self-esteem, some of your issues of needing to be in control may be very much related to a problem called codependency doesn't have to just occur in families who have the disease of addiction. It can occur in all kinds of situations, and it doesn't have to be families. This can happen at work. This can happen at um, in your community. This can happen among friends. So it's not just among 
families that you might see this behavior popping out. Right, and, and a lot of times you do see it, that it happens in your social circles or, you know, when somebody asks you for help and you can't say no because you'll feel too guilty, you know, thinking that they, they're not going to find another person with a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, like you're, you're saying no to the entire friendship and relationship mm-hmm. if you say no to this one thing. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about... Um, um, Kids going to college nowadays and how often these codependency issues can really start to show in the early college years and how it really can impact their their entire college career. And in particular with this, the last set of questions that we're looking at, how, how many of them really speak to being able to get the help you need in a college setting that you haven't learned in, your, in the home you grew mm-hmm. up in. Right. One of the questions is, is, do you have difficulty talking to people in authority such as police or a boss or even a professor yeah especially a professor when you think this person's up there up front and they're going to write my grade and they're like the Mm -hmm. expert on the subject and i'm just uh nobody Mm -hmm. um are you confused about who you are or where you're going with your life and that one in particular the idea that that people go think that they have to know what they're going to be when they grow up when they go to college this idea that, okay, I'm going to go there and I'm going to become a doctor and, and my whole life is all planned out, that that's going to happen. And you, you get there and you might not do so well in right. biology and suddenly your life is looking like it's going in a different direction and, and you're totally lost. And, and college students go through that all the time, whether there's addiction in the family history or codependency in there. Um, and if they don't find the words to get through that, it becomes what turns them in a, in a painful direction. And I think that for a lot of college students, it is very difficult to change their major, change their mind, because they've already spoken the words and the expectation is there. And and I have to tell you, I know a number of folks that I went to medical school with that, uh, as you were saying a little while ago, that's what the family expected. They came from a long line of doctors there career was planned out for them they were extremely unhappy they worked very hard they sacrificed a lot but they hated it and they knew they hated it but they didn't have the ability ability to speak up and say this really doesn't fit me this isn't what i want to do they did not ask for help they couldn't speak to the authorities in their life including their parents and say this isn't right for me and they had significant problems later on in their life it's a very sad thing when you don't know who you are or you do and yet you don't feel like you can change your mind or take a different road not being able to own that reality for themselves, they end up carrying that into their adulthood mm-hmm. and into the, the families that they're later responsible for. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and a couple of questions that we've already uh, kind of touched on, but do you have trouble saying no when asked for help? And the other one is, do you have trouble asking for help? Which we've you know we've talked about. Um, so that ability to say no, to clearly say no. Very hard, mm-hmm. very hard for, for folks. And even when they know they need to say no, even though they may not even intend to 
to do what they've just committed themselves to doing, they still can't say no. Or if they do say no, they feel the need to qualify it with because of this or because of this or make an excuse or, or you know, make it softer. But, and the idea that nice people don't say no. Right. It's even get, gotten into the recovery communities. There's this this phrase at 12-step meetings that, that is, you never say no to an AA request. Um, or, or if you say no to your sponsor, they're going to come back at with you, you with, um, you obviously don't have your priorities straight if you're going to put that ahead of this. When in reality, learning to say no is a very, very healthy behavior. And it's they're getting the message, even in a recovery setting, that people who say no are setting themselves up for relapse and they're, they're bad people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, do you have so many things going on at once that you can't do justice to any of them? You know, the people that that mm-hmm. just have 14 different balls in the air and are just working so hard to keep them all going. And it goes back to that, I can't say no. Exactly. I feel like, though, we probably need to say a collective yes to that last question. <laughs> Most of us these days. Have, have so many things going on. So if you have um, answered some of these questions um, for yourself and determined you might have problems, if you feel like you have a lack of trust in yourself or in other people or you fear being abandoned or alone, if you have a difficulty identifying and speaking about how you feel, you don't even know how you feel, if you are very rigid or have trouble adjusting to change or problems with intimacy or boundaries, if you feel chronically angry, if you're finding yourself being li- lying and being dishonest um, to protect other people and to protect your image, if you are having difficulty making decisions and you meet some of these criteria that we just talked about, then one of the things that you might consider is having a recovery plan for yourself around the issues of codependency. And this is where a program, a 12-step program, free, everybody, it's free, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's Al-Anon, which are directly for uh, people who have someone in their life who has the disease of addiction and they have been affected by the disease of addiction or whether it's for codependency treatment that may or may not come from a relationship with someone with addiction, it's really important to consider that you might need to have a place where you can go and talk about how you struggle in your relationships how you struggle with setting boundaries, how you struggle with saying no, how you struggle with your um, your perfectionistic tendencies and your desire to control everything. And 12 Steps, Al-Anon, codependency meetings. There are a number of uh, families in recovery. Family recovery. Family recovery. There are a number of, of free programs that mm-hmm. you can go online and search out and go and get some help and support. You also may want to kick it up a notch and maybe see a therapist who specializes in codependency. 
There are some codependency workshops. Some of these last for a couple of days. Some of these last for a week or two. Very intensive immersion kind of programs that really look at your history and look at how your relationships continue to repeat themselves. The person that you're in a relationship next may look different and sound different and have a different name, but how they end up making you feel each time is the same, then you might have codependency and you really might benefit from doing some work around codependency. Uh, Working uh, 12 steps uh, with regards to codependency can be very helpful in terms of a, a, a pathway, a roadmap, a guide to help you really take the time you need to look at, do I have this problem? How can I get some help? And what are some of the things that I need to learn and change and practice and Mm. do differently so that my life and the lives of the people around me can be better? That's so important. Mm -hmm. And I I think that there's some classic books out there that are really helpful to just Mm -hmm. get that picture, Am I Codependent? Um, Codependent No More, Beyond Codependency, and The Language of Letting Go, all from from Melody, Melody Beatty, um, <laughs> because they're, they're a safe thing to look at in the privacy of your house, and you can just look at the, the issues around it before you venture out to a, a 12-step meeting. Very helpful. There is um, recovery books for Al-Anons, and these are inexpensive. You can find them on Amazon. Uh, the Melanie, Melody Beatty books that you talked about, David, these are all very helpful resources. And I would encourage... Any of you listening, if you answered yes to a couple of these questions, you might really want to think about how you can heal yourself. We thank you for listening. I'll see you next week on Detailing Addiction. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.